Coming at you live from the most accurate portrayal of Chinese culture ever portrayed on Canadian television up to this point. It's Cartoon Night in Canada. Hey, what you watching? Got a problem with cartoon? To another episode of Cartoon Night in Canada, a nostalgic journey to dig through decades of animation to find the good, the bad, and just plain weird of Canadian cartoons. I'm your co-host Chris Lucy Antonio. And I'm your co-host Sylvie Kettles. How are you doing today, Sylvie? I'm doing alright. How's your week been? How many more times have you seen Puss in Boots 2? Uh, well, no, I haven't seen it anymore since the three when we last spoke, but I am going to go- I am going to go see it again, uh, tonight. Yeah, that movie just has a stranglehold on you, and I understand now. It's a very, very good movie. It's a really good movie, uh, and also, I'm not going to be able to see it in 3D forever, and it's really slick in 3D, so I want to just get a, get a few more of, the, of that out of the way, and it's... then I'll just have to be content with whatever version I buy the first day it's released. Oh, like, yeah, just, you'll have, uh, you'll be content wearing out your 4K Blu-ray of... Yeah. Puss in Boots 2. Yeah. Uh, it's Puss in Boots, The Final Wish, or The Last I'm Wish. I'm not giving them any more advertising. They, they, they're <laughs> doing fine. They they could potentially kick Avatar 2 off of the box office. Actually, yeah. Megan might do that first. That's all I want. The box office is weird right now. It is. It's, it's blue cat people against a talking murderous doll for the top spot. Man, the movies are back, people. <laughs> Cinema is alive and well. Like, say what you will about the industry and the direction it's been going the past couple years, but when you see that, like, competing for the top spot at your local Cineplex, it's like, ooh, ooh, oh yeah, the movie is 2023, we're, we're off to a good, good start. God, I have seen so many, like, children's movies recently that I forgot what it's like to be in a, a theater full of Marvel stands. Ew. Because when uh, I, I did sadly, tragically see Avatar The Way of Water, um, it's fine. I don't care. Uh, Hot take. Yeah. Hot take. Um, there were two separate trailers for Marvel mu movies. There was uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 3 and yeah. Ant-Man. That was the other one. I was like, ah. what, what the fuck was the other one? Then uh, they were back to back, and in both trailers, like people in the theater were fucking cheering. And they should I, be kicked out. Yeah, I, I looked at uh, my friend I was with and was like, we're in the wrong fucking theater, dude. We need to go. <laughs> I would just want to go watch Puss in Boots again. This is scary. Mom, come pick me up. God. I'm, I mean, obvious joke is obvious. I know it smelled crazy in there, but moving past that. Yeah. See, that was your recent trailer experience, and uh, this is just a whole tangent, because we always do this for the intro. I mean, we I had the most surreal experiences last most surreal experience last night when I went to the theater to see After Sun, which is fantastic. Everyone, if you have a chance, go see it. It's wonderful. It'll make you cry and call your dad. It's it's not coming to my theater tragically. It's shameful that that's yeah. happening. But um 
so the t- two of the trailers that were attached to After Sun for whatever fucking reason was two movies that are fake. They both star four uh, elderly actresses who have all either won Academy Awards or have been nominated for Academy Awards for their past performances. Mm-hmm. And it's two movies where it's a it's a squad a four old ladies who are who go on a trip and clash with modern sensibilities and culture and discourse and it just being cutesy old women not understanding how the world works oh my god those movies are called 80 for brady Uh and the book club 2 okay so i know what the book club was oh this is perfect discussion for the episode on a pbs (laughs) kids show um 80 for brady here let me just pull this shit up because please I said in the theater last night while watching After Sun, like, that's a fake movie. Okay, so. <clears throat> it stars, get ready for this, uh-huh. Lily Tomlin. Okay. Jane Fonda. Uh-huh. Rita Marino. Sally Field. Okay. And Tom fucking Brady. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I understand a, Tom Brady. He's fucking desperate. It's, uh, here is the plot description from Wikipedia. Ford... Four old female friends travel to Houston to watch their hero, Tom Brady, and the New England Patriots play in Super Bowl L.I., which was in 2017. Oh, so Brady's just trying to uh, relive the glory days before he realized he fucking hates his family. Yeah, before he realized he hates his family and everyone found it weird that he was kissing his son on the mouth and he divorced his wife because he loved football too much and weird guy. Weird guy to have like this puff piece movie to come out of right now. Very strange. He's not even on the poster though, which is funny. That, that is, well, because he's not, he's not the reason anyone would go see that movie. No, it's uh, to see four doddering old women act cute and get high and stuff. Yeah, and just be like whimsically out of touch yeah don't you want to see um sally field take a weed brownie doesn't that sound like 250 million at the box office baby i already i already saw the first uh transformers movie wait that was sally field no it wasn't no that was not sally it was not sally field just who was that it was shia labeouf's mom ew not his literal the character's mom. I know, but still, <laughs> ew. Any yeah. anytime that guy's name comes up now, just gross. What about actual Campbell Shia LaBeouf? Also, also ruined. Oh no. Sorry, Rob Cantor. It's fucking ruined. Rip. Anyway, that was a fun tangent. <laughs> now, uh, to to attempt to segue into today's topic, uh, Puss in Boots two, animated cat. Uh, in that it attempts to portray another country's culture to an extent. Uh Uh-huh. And mythology. And mythology. Uh, That's as best as we're going to get. podcast we're taking a look at what we affectionately call shows for idiot babbies which are probably you, not you we should probably not refer to that because that doesn't sound affectionate at all no it's sagwa the chinese siamese cat it's sagwa and you know it sagwa the chinese siamese cat which is a mouthful of a title it was created by novelist amy tan 
and based on her children's book of the same name, which came out in... 1994. 1994. The show was a co-production between Montreal-based Cine and the Sesame Workshop in America, making the show about Chinese cats in the Fujian province. What exactly? Technically Canadian! Which is the best kind of Canadian... In Canada, the show aired on TV Ontario, Society Radio Canada, and No TV, and PBS in America, because it was a Sesame Street Jim Henson production, so of course it was on PBS. Got to, got to. The show ran between September of 2001 and October of 2002, lasting 40 episodes and 79 segments. It's one of those shows that, like most shows for, uh, as we like to say, idiot babbies, um is broken into two 11-minute segments, but there's only 79 because the pilot was not split into two segments. Well, yeah, because that one was a straight adaptation of Amy Tan's book. Yeah. And the rest is just uh, all based on stories by Amy Tan, but uh, were done by the crew itself. <laughs> uh, for today's podcast, we took a look at episode 7A and 7B, Fur Cut slash Magistrate Loses His Post, presumably directed by series director Joseph Jock. But the Cinegroup director, André Gilles Gagné, is credited in the ending titles for both, so I'm not sure. I'm, I'm pretty sure, though, that Jacques is the one to credit here. And as I said, Amy Tan received the story credit, but the episodes were written by Stephen Ashton and Michael F. Hamill, respectively. Or, sorry, Michael F. Hamill. The episode aired on September 11th, 2001, for fuck's sake, we did it again. <laughs> no, this time it was on purpose, though. Oh, good. This was a purposeful no, you, joke. you were the one who pointed it out, and then it also happened to be an episode that I remembered very strongly. Yeah, let's go with that. Let, let's yeah. go with, uh, this wasn't a deliberate joke. <laughs> oh, man. So, this is just the problem that we grew up in this era. Mm-hmm. We grew up in this era and absorbed a lot of the shows that were being created around this time. So, no matter what, we are going to come across the opportunity to do... Shows that aired on 9-11, episodes that aired on 9-11 as a whole side series in itself. Too many side series. Also, unironically, though, because, like, everyone does the whole, like, oh, everyone remembers where they were on 9-11. I don't remember. All I remember is that I watched this episode. (laughs) I was seven. Yeah, I wasn't even, no, I was six. Actually, another completely pointless tan- tangent. Um, I, I believe on what happened on 9-11 while I was in school, w- like whatever class I was in at the time, a teacher rolled in a TV and turned on the news. Damn, that sounds rough. But only for herself because uh, she kind of just stopped teaching and we all went about our own business. Incredible. It's like, yeah, it's, I guess it's independent study. Go read, go play, go do whatever. Uh, something's happening. It's like, okay. Man, sounds like I had a much better 9-11 than you. Weird sentence. Strange sentence! <laughs> okay, so Sagwa, the Chinese Siamese cat. Still a mouthful of a title. Yep. Um, Where to begin here? Do we want to jump right into... No, you know what? I think we need to just cover the elephant in the room real quick. Okay. Uh, so we don't mean to point this out... Uh, like, as a way to, like, project is like, oh, it's a problematic fave or any bullshit like that. Absolutely not. We are literally just pointing it out because it was of its time, but that doesn't mean it's not weird and a problem. Yeah. This... Like, I'm sorry, but sometimes it's good to point this kind of shit out. Yeah. Um, 
the majority of the voice cast. Um, specifically all of the cats, which you could very well argue they're the main fucking characters. So all of the main characters are played by white people. All played by white people who who kind of drift throughout the uh, Canadian voice acting industry. But all of the human characters are played by Asian act- actors and actresses. <laughs> but uh, not necessarily uh, Chinese. No, no. Uh, you, you have a couple from Vietnam, a couple from Japan. I think there, one's from Thailand. Um, I don't... Uh, the, the, the largest, char- like, biggest character in the show actually voiced by a, a man of Chinese descent is the cook, who is played by Vau Giyu. Mm, right. That's pretty much it. So, yeah. This this cast is a little messy. It's a little hashtag problematic. A little bit. And I'm and this is just something that we are going to encounter uh when we are specifically it like covering shows between, you know, the 90s and present day. Yeah, because sort of North America had it in its brain that like Asia is cool, but also we don't want to have to learn anything about it. And, like, it's all the same, right? So it doesn't matter that one of our actors is Vietnamese and not Chinese. Like, that's, that's it's the same thing, right? Yeah. yeah so, it, uh... So, yeah, it's just different times, people. Sure. And it's unfortunate that that's as best as we can do. Yeah, but... so just gotta, just gotta get that up right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's important to mention that up top, and more to the point, more to the point, um, in terms of the many, the many kind of problematics that a show deliberately attempting from a, you know, a Westerner point of view to adapt and translate a very specific time in Chinese history, a very specific, like, look and feel for Western Canadian audiences, specifically Canadian, mm-hmm. It could be a lot worse. The fact that the one thing that is kind of sticking in our craw is the fact that there are no people of Chinese descent or, like, Chinese-Canadian descent voicing any of the main characters. Yeah. That's a pretty good track record, all things considered. Yeah. Um, we, we could go into, uh, dig into Oliver Holden's very... He, he thinly sprinkles in a little accent work in his character, which, uh, bad, bad, bad call, man. Yeah, could have done without that. Just don't do it. Every, every other cat voice actor, granted they are all children, they make the very wise decision to not try that. Yeah, it's, it, it, it makes this age so much better than it probably has any right to. Mm-hmm. I, I think if anyone had even attempted the show would be forgotten. Thank God for that. Um, th- thank God that they did the sensible thing, and they really di- they really try to do right by both its source material and what it's adapting, and it comes across like as a very noble cross-cultural effort. Yeah, like, the, the effort is there. The effort is there. <laughs> I, I, I will say that uh, while watching it, I... I kind of half expected it because it it is a show targeted to toddlers and younger kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, I expected like like there to be more like teachable moments happening because at least from the one episode that we watched for uh, the podcast today, it feels like there's like multiple opportunities to stop 
and teach more about the culture it's portraying mm-hmm. in a more like direct and detailed manner but it never quite gets there it just kind of likes to tell a story which is fine it works for what it is but it also just feels like a missed opportunity and i know in the past i've complained about like edutainment kind of moments and shows mm-hmm. specifically i'm talking about magi nation <laughs> and that yeah. book of leaders well see but it doesn't fit in there and i guess yeah. to some degree it may not have fit very well in this because presumably every single character has grown up here like True they, enough, they all know what's going on I was, I was specifically thinking that uh from the perspective of sagwa and her family who are cats and not humans yeah who are observing like chinese humans in the fujian province going about their business and experiencing their culture there was probably an opportunity there but it doesn't matter it's not like it didn't have to do that yeah i'm, I'm just saying there was probably an opportunity there it could have capitalized on but just just to have and this was a big thing while watching it uh that we kind of talked about in the preamble before we started recording this is probably so many young uh canadian specifically white canadian kids exposure to any kind of chinese culture well and it was it was specifically my first exposure and even more specifically it was my first exposure to any sort of chinese culture where that was not the joke yeah their their difference wasn't the punchline yeah where like every every aspect of the culture is treated with a level of dignity and respect that most other uh white people are not willing to extend to anyone no. other than themselves. No, it's yeah, it's not a like none of the goings on of the magistrate who works in the palace is played as a joke. Yeah. Or rather the joke is that he is rather incompetent and which everyone is, else just has to sort of make it work around him. Which is just a truism about most politicians. Yeah. Yeah. So just, yeah, good 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 on you. That's just accurate. And I suppose that's just like that that missing opportunity uh, to really hammer home the cross cultural like education, but the the fact that it's just a it's just a show that is set in a very specific place and time, and allows itself to be completely absorbed into that place and time, and not necessarily like a positive portrayal or a negative portrayal. It's just a portrayal. Yeah, that's, that's kind of refreshing for two thousand and one. Yeah, that's just that's just where they're at. Yeah, so like uh, it, th- that's going to be the, the main thing hanging over this. Which uh, I think we, even before we actually uh, get into it much, I think we both like like the show. It's very, it's, I know a lot of it is nostalgia, but damn, this show is just so endearing. Yeah, it's like, but, so we both kind of like both like the show, but, the thing is like the fact that that's the kind of worst criticism we have of it is its voice cast and the fact that it doesn't go too much into the land it's portraying. It's like the, the place and time it's portraying. Mm. That's a win. Yeah. I'll, I'll that say that. A, that's a massive win for quote unquote representation. Good on you, Sagwa. Y- you did it. Yay. You cleared a very, very low bar that we somehow still can't clear even today. Yeah, people are still limboing under that bar as much as possible. So, Sagwa the Chinese Siamese Cat, what, what's it about? Uh, well, it's about our titular character Sagwa, who is the middle child of uh, three 
weirdly, weirdly, these, uh, these cats are, like, birthed like humans. There is no litter situation going on. No, just, just three. Just, an, an older brother, yeah. a, a middle child, and a young sister. Yeah. Uh, the, the three kittens of basically these, these palace cats. And in this, uh, in, in this world, the cats do all of the writing because they have these delicate, uh, tails that can act as a, as a brush. So they do all of the, the fancy brush strokes. For all the calligraphy. Official... It all goes yeah. back to the cats. Yeah, they... Uh, so these these two uh, cats, the parents, uh, the Meow family, Mama... it, which is a nice pun. It's a, yeah, it's it's a like Mandarin for melon, but also Meow. Yeah, but also Nya, you know, our main character Sagwa Meow, her older brother Donghua, and her younger sister Shigwa, and uh, sometimes her friend Fufu, who is a bat with glasses, uh, and just the various shenanigans that they get up to in the palace of the foolish magistrate and his family. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the long and short of it. Uh, plenty of opportunities to teach life lessons about family, things that you shouldn't do because Sagwa didn't do it, and be a good person by watching this royal cat. Yeah. Be better. I, be, so, someone, uh, be someone that Sagwa would be proud of. I mean, yeah. I mean, why would you want to disappoint Sagwa? Why would you? She's adorable. It's true. Uh, she's so small. <laughs> like, is this your resident little guy? She is a, She is just a little guy, though. Chris is the thing. Mm-hmm. This is a fair one. This is a very fair uh, little guy yeah. acknowledgement. Like, she, she can be picked up by most humans with one hand. <laughs> she's just a little guy. So... The look of this show, uh, we will, uh, get, to get it out of the way, uh, I looked a bit at um, Amy Tan's book, Sagwa, the Chinese Siamese Cat. Uh, completely different art style. Yeah, I just looked it, at, the, at the cover piece, and it's, it's wild. Like, it's a more realistic portrayal of what a Siamese cat would potentially look like. So it's a lot of, like, harsher lines and very much more detailed. The illustrator was... Uh, Gretchen Shields, who does a great job, and I, and probably not deliberately, but it looks a lot like a, like a, some uh, Louise Wayne paintings of cats. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of that without the obvious uh, turn into psychedelia that, that his paintings went. Are you, are you saying that this cat is not on acid right now? I mean, with the colors of this book, I, I don't know. I mean, anything it, is like, possible. I, she I does could get be... up to a lot of shit. I could be convinced, like, reading through Amy Tan's book while on Mushrooms, that there's something happening with this cat. Sagwa could get into the nip. But not not so much with the animated Sagwa, which, thankfully, the people at Cinegroup and Sesame Workshop decided to not go for a very, very realistic approach to the cats and just made them smooth as fuck. They just made them squishy. They did. And speaking on the animation front of the show... It's very competent, uh, but it's very obvious, for obvious reasons, they spend a lot of their time in the ways that the cat characters move. One, because they're main characters, as we've established, but two, because that's something that they need to get right. And yeah. it's all very clean and moves nicely for the cat characters, while the human characters can be, you can notice some, let's say... Corners were cut. Cor corner cutting here and there, yeah. yeah. Not all the time. 
No, no, no. It's it's a very competently produced show. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's just very obvious where their attentions were drawn. And, yeah. But uh, m- more to the point, uh, I do like the colors of the show. I do like uh, I do like the way that it portrays the setting. I can't. Uh, but spoiler alert, or hey, I hate to like pull the curtain behind the production here. Both myself and Sylvie are not Chinese. Spoilers, yeah. I hate to break the illusion that you had of us. So we can't really speak on the accuracy in the way it portrays a a governmental palace in the Qing dynasty. Sorry. Wasn't, Our research only covers so much. Yep. And we're not, but, we're not great researchers anyway. No, that, you, now you're pulling the curtain too far. <laughs> oh, uh, sorry. Let me, let me just... We are fantastic researchers. That's staying in. We always do our best. <laughs> So we can't speak to the accuracy of what it portrays or, like, how it looks, but I didn't notice any glaring inaccuracies or problems in the the way that it was portraying, like, say, late Qing Dynasty. Yeah, I, I imagine, like, a, uh, like, some ar- like archaeology historian, um, architecture historian could, like, dig through the backgrounds and be like, oh, well, actually, these are, uh, these are, are not representative of the, of the late Qing dynasty. This is definitely more like, uh, early Shun dynasty. Why, why is this archaeology, like, why is this hypothetical archaeologist being so passive-aggressive? You're right. Like, like, well, actually, mm, uh, actually, actually, Sagwa, the Chinese Siamese cat, that's not the right kind of palace structure. That's not correct. But, we don't know any No wonder either. you don't get any funding. <laughs> Sorry, hypoth- go on. This hypothetical architecture historian, just like the saddest life. <laughs> um, so the first, the two episodes that we covered, uh, or the first of the two that we covered is uh, Fur Cut, which is definitely the one that I remembered the most definitively. Uh, and wh- why is that specifically? Because, uh, again... We- we we don't usually do this anymore because uh, we're finding that it's pointless. But spoiler alert: I did not have any memories of this show. Uh, Sylvie watched, has a bunch. I watched the hell out of it. There were mm-hmm. this was definitely a show that when I when I said we need to talk about Sagwa, I had like three or four episodes immediately come to mind. Um, <laughs> and one of them just happened to be the nine eleven episode. So that's, just happened. Just that's the one we went through. That's just how um, the cookie crumbled. But there was just, I don't know, something about uh, some of the visuals in this episode that just stuck out in my brain. Uh, specifically, they uh, this is probably one of the only times where our main character has a massive design change. Um, is that right? Oh, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Well, yeah, for the, for the entire episode. Uh, Sakwa's just, like, missing patches of fur. Yeah, she's, she's a proper alley cat in yeah. this one. She, uh, she's delivering a scroll and sits back to watch a, uh, a potter working at his wheel. And because she's, uh, shedding her, her thicker coat for this, for the summer, uh, her fur gets all up in this guy's nose. He sneezes and the pot he's working on just explodes all over her. And so she's covered in clay. And when she gets back, the cook is like, oh, I'll fix this problem and just cuts off the clumps. And I mean, you, you got to. You, yeah, you, got you to, can't, got you to. can't leave that cat all just gumped up in, in with clay. clay. Yeah. 
so then she goes back to her siblings with patches in her fur. They laugh at her, and because she's embarrassed, she doesn't want to tell them what actually happened. So she makes up uh, a story about being captured by bad bats uh, and rescued by uh, Shanglong, a rain dragon who, I did look up, is, is real. Mythologically, like Shenlong's... <laughs> No, like no, yeah, it's like real. You can Shen... go see it right now. Yeah, no, but specifically that Shenlong is the uh, uh, considered to be the bringer of storms and rain, and so it's like oh, that was like the one thing that I noticed for this one that was like oh, that was nice that they're actually pulling from real mythology and not just making their own shit up. I I mean, if they did try to make shit up, they'd be called out pretty quickly. Yeah. If if not by Amy Tan or like the one or two people on the voice cast who are actually chinese mm-hmm. the, the viewership because i mean canada is as we like to proudly proudly say is a mosaic right we're like a patrick quilt i know that we had this discussion before yeah. we had two different metaphors yeah. forced onto us in elementary school yeah. uh but we, we we like to imagine although it's not exactly accurate especially for indigenous that we let you keep your culture when you come to Canada. We were born <laughs> in Canada. A fucking lie. It's not necessarily a lie, but it's not exactly held up or supported or respected as much as you would imagine. That it, with the amount of pride we put into that distinction. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if if for whatever reason it started like this show started going off the rails with what it's portraying and dipping too far into mythology that just flat out doesn't exist in Chinese history, it would have been called out pretty quickly. I would hope so. I, I do like me. Uh, this is a favorite kind of episode trope for kids television. Mm-hmm. The one character who lies their ass off and builds a whole narrative for his gullible friends. Yeah. Love me that episode. It's never not been great. Yeah, because like at the very beginning her uh brother and sister or specifically just Donghua. uh just he, he tries her uh her little sister is like totally wrapped up in the in the story she's she is there she is ride or die um but Donghua is like uh river or rain dragons can't breathe fire and so i was like well this one did perfect child answer yeah well this one did what do you mean yeah and so she just keeps going further and further and further into this elaborate story that ends with her and the dragon saving the village. Um, but they're interrupted by their friend Fufu, who upon learning that there were some bad bats who kidnapped Sawa, he's ready to fight for his friend. Like, there's some bats in my colony who were willing to kidnap a kitten? Sawa almost inspired a violent manhunt with her lies. Yeah. And, uh, so obviously, when she sees that this is about to get very much out of hand, she immediately comes out with, uh, I was lying, oops, I made it all up, please don't murder other bats for me. Well, no, because now Fufu is going to look weak in front of his men, so he has to kill something. Oh, shit, you're right. You don't know how the bat- Fufu always looks weak in front of his men, that's kind of his deal. It's just the glasses. Yeah. It's just the glasses, he's unfortunately. He's clumsy. I I will say uh, not uh, not to derail the plot discussion too much, but it's kind it's re- very very impressive how the character designers made every cat of the same breed look distinct and interesting. Yeah. It it it's a nice little feat that they have because each character has some nice accents to them, which 
still within the like the potential uh like potential ways that the Siamese cat breed can look but each with their own unique flavor and character that comes across in their design. Like, I, I was very much impressed by that. Yeah, like, you've got uh, both uh, Dongla and uh, their father have the very, like, the, the classic, sleek Siamese appearance to them. Um, whereas all of the, all of the girls in the family are floofier. Mm-hmm. Their, their mom has, like, just this elaborate jewelry setup going on though which i love that they're, for her they're they're palace cats they yeah. they are they are the they are of the upper crust yeah M- mama mama's wearing eyeshadow <laughs> just like puss in boots <laughs> just no puss in boots is wearing eyeliner ah i mean she's also got like a pretty pretty sharp cat's eye going on she also wears eyeliner and it's also crazy though that the uh the the father of the Meow family has a Fu Manchu. Yeah. <laughs> Could have done without that. Could have done without that. Just that's a little bit too far. That that I that mean, was That does mean that he is the only cat in the show that has whiskers. <laughs> I, yeah, I, that's I that's believe what that, that the Fu Manchu is supposed to be like whiskers. Yes, that's probably the intention, but also I I know for a fact that the character designer did that and said, like, can I get away with that? that they immediately they immediately thought like, is this is this cool? This is cool. Okay, okay. Okay. No one no one's telling me no. <laughs> Amy, is that cool? Oh, you're writing another novel? Okay, great. Okay, bye. Oh, we should also say that um there there is criticism of Amy Tan for her depiction of Chinese culture. Yes. There is uh it's a a lot of people have called her out for her storylines in her novels and the way in the way her like specific understanding of both the Chinese American experience as well as Chinese culture itself. So take that with a grain of salt. Like I, I did not look up any particular quote unquote takedowns of Sagwa and its portrayal of Chinese culture. It could exist. It could not. I, I just feel like maybe because it, it's a children's book, no one really spent time with it. But yeah, I, I think that's that's probably the big takeaway. She is a, she is an institution in like Chinese American storytelling, mm-hmm. in and of herself. But that's not without criticism or other people uh, pushing against her like universalism of the Chinese American experience. So yeah, and there that's you go. Fair, I suppose. So j- just just to just to air that uh, yeah. before. Because again, we're we're not too read up on the criticism of Amy Tan, uh, or how passionate or how damaging people might think it is. So, if this comes across as an endorsement of her, it's not. We're just discovering the show. We're we're just a couple of idiots. It's true. We just we we just like how floofy the cats look. They're so floofy. Let us be. We we like the fact that they don't have paws. They just have stubs. They just have these little stick stubs that just hop across the ground and it's it's cute every fucking time because it's so 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 much easier to animate yeah because like who wants to have to animate the movement of paws they're complicated it's true it's very true so i guess the first lesson of 7a fur cut was just don't tell lies yeah because and it turns out that her family is pretty invested in the true story when when she starts going into the pottery her uh, her siblings are just as invested 
in her harrowing tale of clay sneezes. Uh, of pot explosions. Yeah, as they were with the dragon. So yeah, if um, if you were wa- if you were an idiot babby watching this show for idiot babbies, like you me. would Im- yes, like you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you you would immediately learn the valuable life lesson of no lying is not okay. Sagwa does not lie; she is an honest cat. She learns to be an honest cat. What was the last uh? you know, baby show, treehouse show that we, was it Little Bear? It was Little Bear, yeah. It was Little Bear. Uh, I, I guess it should always be a part of our conversation when we're talking about these uh, shows for kid, very young kids. Uh, what exactly is the lesson being portrayed? Because God help you if it's not a lesson. Yep, gotta be. If we're so, just, and I, if we're just yeah. showing random shit to the, to the children, how will we justify our existence? I mean, also, this was made for PBS. It's true. And so, uh, I'm... Unfortunately, the version we watched did not have because it was, I guess, it was a Canadian broadcast we watched mm-hmm. uh, on YouTube of all places. Yep. Who'd have thunk? Who'd have thunk that another show would be on YouTube? Everybody, everybody thunk that. I did look up one of the American broadcasts just for comparison. No point. But there is an added intro about like this show is only possible through uh, donations by you, the viewer, to PBS. Hell yeah. It's uh, it's Sagwa herself. Um, Holly, Holly Gautier Frankel saying that. Adorable. This, this cute little cat shilling for PBS. Hey, and as she should. No, no, we should absolutely, we should absolutely support public broadcasting. PBS is a net, is probably like the one unadulterated good in America thus far. The only positive television that's yeah. ever been in the history of television. Yep. <laughs> don't, don't quote me on that. <laughs> So episode two is one of our more uh, human-featured storylines where, like, there's just some drama going on in the palace that the cats happen to be around and they're gonna, like, pitch in and help out because that's kind of their job. And because of that, it's much less interesting. Yeah. uh, So this one is the magistrate receives a letter from Beijing saying that he is being relieved of his post. Everyone's real sad about it. His, uh... His wife's dogs are stressed that they're going to be kicked out of the palace, too. Yeah, And the the greatest line in this entire uh, 23 minutes of two segments, uh, we will have to live like commoners. Yeah. Great shit. Yeah. Yep. These these human characters who live in this palace are not good people. Yeah. And that's, like, I think that's something that's clearer in in the book, too, is that, like, the foolish magistrate is very greedy. Like, he is not a good person or a good leader. And they kind of soften him a little bit for the show to be like, well, he, he means well. He's just a little foolish. Right, and, like, the only reason why he, like, actually tolerates the cats is because of their calligraphy skills. Yeah. And, because c- he can use them. Yeah, they're, they're useful. So, uh, the, the cook decides to still throw the banquet feast that they were initially planning for the uh, for the messenger from Beijing. But he doesn't have the ceremonial fish, and it's too expensive if now they're potentially all going to be out of work. So Sagwa teams up with the, uh, with the three dogs to catch a fish for the dinner. And that's the episode. And then it turns out, oh, it was, a, it was the wrong letter. The wrong scroll got sent to, to you. You're actually you, doing a great job, and you're fine. You, you're 
contracts renewed for another year. That was a different magistrate that had his entire livelihood taken away from yeah. him. Not you. Not not yeah. you, foolish one. Yeah. And like the other the other magistrate losing his job, it's not actually because he was a, a corrupt uh, official. It's actually just because um, he pissed off someone slightly higher up than him. Or he didn't have any cats. He probably didn't have any cats. He had no palace cats, and you, you yeah. need them. You, 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 you need temple cats. You, you need someone. You need someone to like have the vibes positive. Yeah. And th- th- that's what that's what the cats do. Yeah, like your your little uh, Pekingese dogs are not. Uh, pos- they're not throwing out positive vibes. Two of them are fucking cross-eyed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why that was a detail they kept in, but sure. Well, no, one of them's cross-eyed. The other one's wall-eyed. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Uh, Two out of three of those dogs don't have proper vision. Yeah. See, and this was, I, I felt, there were like two opportunities in both of these segments where there were, there was like ample cause to bring up kind of like an edutainment moment. One was with that dragon spirit uh, story that Sagwa was telling. It's mm-hmm. like you could have maybe explained that mythology a little bit for kids. And in this one, when they say with the ceremonial fish and all of these dishes that they're creating, which look a- which look accurate, yeah, you you only hear like the the title like the actual like food name once, but like go a little bit more into that. Like, yeah, show how it's prepared. Why why is it ceremonial? Yeah, what's what's the ceremony? That's another episode that that I remembered for this was one where like um, the magistrate's uh, wife, Tai Tai. Yeah, Tai Tai Swan. Yeah, she goes on like this. Uh, tai Tai she... is literally Mandarin for wife. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> uh, oh, she goes on guys. like this rampage against like the birds in the courtyard and uh, some of the there's some insect. Oh yeah, the silkworms. She just gets annoyed by all animals and. Then has to learn the horrifying reality that a lot of her food and fancy things are made with the with the produce of those animals, uh, and specifically she's mad that there's no birds' nests for the birds' nest soup because she had all of the birds chased away, <laughs> and that probably would have been a, a another opportunity to be like, what the fuck is birds' nest soup? Because I remember being a child and being like, y'all putting the whole birds' nest in soup? What's that for? What do you? Wh- you eat that? That sounds awesome. Yeah, just... th- there was pl- there's plenty of opportunity to correct uh, young Canadian ignorance towards yeah. Chinese culture, and they just didn't. Yeah, didn't have to. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't their job. Yeah, it's 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 not the show's like job to educate you about Chinese culture. It just merely has to get it mostly right. Yeah, actually, and it kind of does up. that. Yeah, I actually am looking up uh, bird's nest soups. Oh, good. <laughs> Sorry. I just between between the first time you heard that that dish title and today you never looked it up. Never. <laughs> um. But anyway, yeah. So that's yeah. The the more human centric episodes are never as fun because there's less cat screen time. There's less character in those humans. I mean, I I I do like the magistrate's fit. I think it goes wild. Yeah, I I love and his little his one little peacock feather. I I again can't speak to the accuracy. I just know I like the design. It's a good look. But thankfully there there is a limited uh cast of human characters. Yeah, it's basically just, the magistrate, Tai Tai, the 
cook, um, the scroll reader. He's just like a scribe, basically, but he doesn't do the writing because the cats do the writing. And the um, daughters. And the three daughters, who that... appear in none of these episodes. No, they appear in the second one, but they don't have any speaking roles. Yeah. They're they're there for the banquet. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so I, I think overall, uh, for a, you know, young children kind of cartoon, it's harmless. When the potential for harm was very apparent. Oh, yeah. Again, given uh both america and canada's uh track record of dealing with immigrants from the asian continents yeah yeah it's uh, yeah yeah so i i mean i we might as well bring this up uh there are two there's actually two elephants regarding the voice cast oh beans one is uh the predominant like the the predominant presence of white people, mm-hmm. and the other being one of those white people, is Stephen Crowder. Oh, I thought we weren't going to talk about him today. No, this is the most interesting yeah, thing about I mean, the voice cast. I mean, it is. Yeah. Uh, to our listeners, both in Canada and in, and America or around the world, if you don't know who Stephen Crowder is, one, God, count I wish, yourself fucking God, lucky. God, I wish that were me. God. And two, he is a conservative political commentator who is a very, very, very bad person. Yeah. Just on every level. He is a try-hard, offensive comedian who speaks to a conservative mindset while misrepresenting information and doing just jackass stunts that make him look like a, like a dick. And he also uh, wants you to buy his mug for $99. Just all around asshole. And unfortunately, we claim him as a Canadian. Uh, not that we want to. I, technically, he has dual citizenship, I believe. God, why can't he just let that lapse? Probably because he doesn't actually think that uh, private health care is better. No, but the the... In a career of just an awful footprint on the political discourse and the world itself through his many actions, he did maybe two innocent things in his life. And the, and they were two voice acting roles when he was attempting to be an actor because all people in the conservative political sphere, commentator sphere, are failed somethings. Yep. It's, uh, they couldn't achieve their dreams, so now nobody can. They can't make it in Hollywood, so they decide, well, Hollywood's just too liberal. Yep. And pivot hard into far-right ideology. But the two categorically fine things that Steven Crowder did with his miserable life is voice the brain on Arthur for, like, two seasons, and Sagwa, he voiced Mung, the character Mung, in Sagwa the Chinese Siamese Cat. For what, one That's episode? It. One episode. And you actually went out and watched this episode. You, you sought it out. I just watched a little bit of it to, um, just to see, because a morbid curiosity, obviously. Um, he's just doing his brain voice again. Because, yeah. shock, he's not talented. Shock and surprise. As someone who was 
is as someone who failed so hard out of Hollywood that he had to become super, super, super racist to pay his bills. He's not talented. What a pathetic man. <laughs> I fucking hate him. Anyway, so that's... I'm sorry that he is a stain upon the legacy of Sagwa, the Chinese Siamese cat. And Arthur. And Arthur! Like, we have... Like, whenever you want to look up the Wikipedia page or the IMDb page of Arthur, there's his name or his headshot. Yep. He's there. He was a part of it. We're sorry, America. Yeah, we, we cannot remove him... From the past. Ah, uh, so that that just beca- because I, I feel like what's gonna happen if if people know if people if our listeners know who Steven Crowder is and look up Sagwa the Chinese Siamese cat after this episode drops, like what the fuck is this? And see that name, immediately they're gonna say, Why didn't they mention that? Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. I'm like yeah, it's it's completely pointless. Doesn't matter yeah. at all. But it is, it is probably the most uh, contemporarily important thing to note. Sadly. I, I feel like that's something that more people could be annoying him with. Because, he, like most conservative talkie men, uh, he gets, his jimmies get rustled very easily. Um, so I think if people just, like spammed him with pictures of Mung and Brain in response to everything he did, I think that would be that would annoy him. Which may be the case, but honestly, if if I was in his position and God hope I never am, like I would be that, that would be like my one point of pride is that I was a voice actor on Arthur. Are you fucking kidding me? See, but Arthur also had the gay rat ma- wedding. So like Mm, that, right, his, he, pro- his, he probably doesn't yeah, want to associate with that Exactly, yeah. his his reputation is tarnished. Hmm. Well, look at that. And uh, yeah, he he wants to be a uh, conservative, manly man. He fucking wears a gun strapped to him for all of his live broadcasts from a fucking studio with all his friends. Yeah. If 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 it gets out that he was in this cutesy little girly girl show about kitty cats in China. Yeah. He. he he played second fiddle on this show to a character literally named Silly Melon. Silly Melonhead. I love that. But an, an, enough about the worst person on the voice cast. Let's talk a bit about the uh, members of the voice cast. We got some names here. We do. Um, so the, uh, the, the main, the Meow family, start with all of our, our white friends. We've got uh, Holly Gauthier Frankel as Sagwa, and and for a, a lot of these, we're, we're gonna have some crossover with uh, Arthur and other PBS shows. Mm-hmm. I because I guess the, uh, all of these people are just in the pool uh, of actors that they call on for their productions. Yeah, it's just it's just one of those uh, in parts of the industry where there's just a lot of. A lot of overlaps. This is uh, dealing with uh, mostly a lot of uh, Quebecois voice actors, probably because Cinegrip is in Quebec. Funny that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and they get a, they get a lot of work that way. But uh, all of these people get around to a lot of uh, past and potential future shows that we will cover uh, yeah. for Cartoon Night in Canada. Like, because c- as we've discussed many many times, if you're in the Canadian voice acting industry. You get work. 
You will be on Da Vinci's Inquest. Eventually. Eventually you will get on Da Vinci's Inquest. You might even get on Forget About It when it does its season four. You've gone silent on me. Why? We are done talking about that. We're talking about Sagwa. Oliver Granger voices voice Dongwa, the older brother, and uh, he was also like his biggest other claim to fame is as DW on Arthur. Yep. Which that was a big shock, shock and surprise to me because it it like subverts the classic voice acting thing of women playing young boys. Yep. Just, just, uh, this, this young kid just play, playing a little girl. And, like, the, the two names that you've mentioned so far have both been on Arthur's characters. Yup. Um, then we've got Jesse Vinay as, uh, as Shigua. I did not find a whole bunch from her. She's done, she's done a lot of, uh, Lady Gaga videos. Is that right? Yeah. Weird. Yeah, she... Uh, she did voice work in uh, Love Game, Bad Romance, and Applause. Has has Lady Gaga seen Sagwa the Chinese Siamese cat? I hope so. Okay, good. I really hope so. <laughs> I'm happy for her. Yeah. Ah, oh, this fucking person was also in Caillou. Yeah, she was also in Arthur. <laughs> three for three. Yep. Yeah. Uh, four for four, coming in as... Uh, as Baba is Arthur Holden, who is Mr. Ratburn. And made the poor mistake of giving himself an accent for this one. Yeah. Yep. Could have yep. done without that. And for some reason, there's a lot. There's also a lot of crossover with What's With Andy with this voice cast. Yeah. Yeah, I noticed I that one too. I don't know how that's a thing. Arthur, I, Sagwa the Chinese Siamese Cat, and What's With Andy. I guess somebody's got to do it. And a really funny thing is Arthur Holden is really big in the uh, Quebecois video game industry. Because that's where, like, you know, Ubisoft is and a bunch of very massive video game studios. Yeah. It's like so he's, you, in, he's he, in every single Assassin's Creed game. Kind of, sort of, yeah. Yeah. And, like, so it's just so funny, like, to hear, like, a Mr. Ratburn voice just come out of fucking Tom Clancy. <laughs> It's it's weird. It's it's a it's a weird little thing that happens every now and then that I always love when I recognize a voice actor from a childhood show in a completely different context, like in a PS3 game from like 2010. Mm-hmm. It's like what the? F- there is a massive leap in time happening here that's just doing my head in. Hey, it pays the bills, man. It does. Holy shit! Does being a video game voice actor? Yeah. You make sure consist- that you have electricity for another month. Yeah, if if you can land video game roles consistently, you're set. If if you're on like the additional voices list for Ubisoft Montreal, you are employed yeah. for the rest like, of the for as long your as life. that like as long as that company lasts. Yep. Like even if you only end end up playing Soldier B for the rest of your career, pays the bills. Yeah, if you're uh, if you're town parishioner in the assassin in one of the Assassin's Creed game, and your your one line is a death rattle after you get assassinated, hey, that's a paycheck, buddy. It's a living. Um, rounding out the cast of cats, we've got Ellen David as Mama, and she's also uh, an Arthur alumna. 
Jesus Christ. Uh, she's done a, Just... a lot of stuff, too. A lot of, like, miniseries. Like, voice acting and live-action acting. She's also in Are You Afraid of the Dark? Hell yeah, episode. good for her. Good yeah. for her. Uh, and another crossover, another like uh, these weird uh, cast sharing. Uh, another one, another one to add to the list is Caillou, mm-hmm. because she's also on Caillou. And fuck, we're gonna have to cover that little bald fucker one day, aren't we? Caillou one day. Um, we're gonna um, do that. We are gonna have to do that. And then uh, going into our human <sighs> human cast, we've got uh, as the foolish magistrate. Extremely Japanese man, Hiro Kanagawa. Japanese Canadian, but Japanese Canadian, yes. Born born in Japan, I believe. So yeah. Yes. Um, hmm. Yeah, he was born in Sapporo and then moved to Guelph, and I think he's now based in Vancouver. And doesn't really have a uh, voice actor career. No, no. This was sort of a standout. He's he's done mostly live action and also writing. Uh, but. Guess what he appeared on? What did, what, what did he appear on? Uh, it's not Da Vinci's Inquest. It's Da Vinci's City Hall. Oh, the shit. The spinoff of Da Vinci's Inquest. <laughs> okay, this is going to be like a, a new running joke for the podcast. I'm calling it right now. It's like, mm-hmm. were they on a Da Vinci show? <laughs> were they on a Da Vinci show or Murdoch Mysteries? Was he also in Murdoch Mysteries? Uh, you know what? That's a very great question, which I am scanning. Nope, he scanning. Was not. No, you failure. Well, to be to be fair, Murdoch Mysteries is more Toronto based. Yeah, that's fair. Da Vinci yeah. is super Montreal. Yeah. So that's those are <laughs> those are the two genders of Canada. Actually, da Vinci's no. Inquest or Murdoch Mysteries. Da Vinci's Inquest is actually Vancouver, which uh, <gasps> makes sense because uh, Hiro Kanagawa is a Vancouver based actor. Yeah. yeah. A lot of filming going on in that in British Columbia. Yeah. Gosh, I wonder why. Tax breaks. Yeah, yeah, that's that's it. Uh, as Tai Tai, we've got Kyra Ledeo. Uh, Another name I wasn't familiar with. I was not familiar with her at all, but she's also done a lot of live action acting, um, in television. She was in, she was in Eleventh Hour, for one episode, Ooh. which is just that that one show I have such vague memories of seeing when it first came out and being real hyped about it and then it got cancelled. Sylvie, guess what she was on? What? She on... It's Inquest. Yeah! <laughs> okay, so I'm I'm noticing something weird here. Um, so all of the cats who are all white seem to have, like, voice actor careers. Yeah. But all of the humans, which feel like they deliberately uh cast asian actors as aren't voice actors they are live action actors i'm also recognizing this pattern no, i i don't i'm i'm pointing that out for like no real reason yeah. but it's just just weird it it's interesting that it that would imply that like they they had to seek out actors Right. What that what that's pointing to is that there was a dearth of actual Canadian, like Asian Canadian, uh, voice actors in the industry at the time. Gosh, I wonder why that is. Well, at the very least, they fixed that problem, right? Right. 
I'm gonna take your your repeat of right as a yes. It's everything's good now. Yeah, absolutely. Everything's <laughs> fine and normal and good. Good, good. I'm happy about that. And I guess, I guess who else, who else is like the the chef cook? Uh, that was uh, Ravki Yu. Uh, I believe they're also a Vancouver-based actor. Yes. Uh, he's also, also, not a lot of uh, voice acting roles. Uh, he's he's got a few. Oh wait, no. I saw Fairly Odd Parents and assumed, ah, oh, one of one of the good ones, right? No, the live action grow up to me Turner. Ooh. Yeah. So. Sorry. Again, that is unfortunate. As Asian waiter. Oof. That movie's from fucking 2011. Couldn't. Couldn't they just be called waiter? Can you just call him waiter? Or in uh, twenty, his appearance in Arrow in twenty thirteen as Asian Driver. Uh, okay. M- Mister Yu, I'm so sorry. We gotta talk about how people get credited. Cause that's a little weird. bit. A not little like bit. not us right now because again we're idiots. But guess what, Mister Yu was on. Was he on Da Vinci's Inquest? You. Bet your ass he was on Da Vinci's Inquest between 2002 and 2004 as Constable. Fuck yeah. Well, which means he had a repeating role. So, when Cinegroup was casting this show, did they go through their books of, like, all like all their cast lists of everyone they worked with in the past, specifically from, like, all the other PBS animated shows, and mm-hmm. say, okay, them, 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 and then they got, like, halfway through the cast, like, ooh, we don't, ooh. we don't have any, like... Chinese or any Asian people on this cast? Do they just throw on a fucking episode of Da Vinci's Inquest and say like, "Yeah, that one"? Yeah, and they just picked her. through. Yeah, they picked through the, the credits and they're like, "Okay, okay, yeah, give 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 her a call, give him a call." And I and I guess the last uh the last main cast that is on two main casts left uh Rick Jones as Fufu and Russell Yuan as the division master, the Majesty's brother. <sighs> yeah. His official title. Uh, Advising Reader of the Rules. I like it. Yeah. I don't know who Russell Yen is. An- another name that I'm not familiar with. Yeah, I was also not familiar with him. So, uh, I'm just scrolling through now just to see. Was he was he in Da Vinci's Inquest? The very we, important we, thing. We never have to do this segment again. We can just ask that one question. Yeah. And if the answer is no, it's like, yeah, why, why, why bother? Yeah. Like we don't we don't need to go into the rest. What the do you mean you're stuff? not getting seventy five cent residual checks from Da Vinci's Inquest? <laughs> oh, he was in Murdoch Mysteries. Okay, he's one of them. Yeah, he's. Ooh. Oh yeah, he's a he's a Toronto Montreal based actor. I'm also seeing some uh, Ubisoft video games on his. Yes. He's. They get around. They, yep. Like, you, you're working in Canada. You eventually find yourself in a AAA video game. Yep. Shit, he was also in Arrival. Good for him. Uh, Rick Jones is kind of like the one, like the odd member out of the cast, because no, from what I can see, there is no uh, Arthur here. Mm-hmm. No What's With Andy, no Caillou. But their their credits are like seven times as long as anybody else. Yeah, and that, honestly, that kind of makes sense for a character like Fufu. Like, that's the kind of character who you pull in just an insanely busy character actor and just like hey do one of your one of your silly voices go nuts. Uh, yeah spe- speaking to that uh, their performance was the most exaggerated of them all mm-hmm. 
Like he he had the most uh, deliberate attempt to make a character out of the voice. Yeah. Well, I mean, we can't fault the uh, the, the very obvious child actors. Yeah, because they're child actors. They're just they're just doing what their mo- I mean, what they want to do. Mm-hmm. But uh, again, other than the uh, occasional attempts at doing accents, the the cast is fine. Kind of unremarkable, but for the most part, they mix they mix with the characters well. Sagwa holds up, turns out. Despite all potential yeah. evidence to the contrary. Yeah, despite everything working against it, it's the... still a safe and charming little show for idiot babies like me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Despite, um, despite the fact it comes from potentially controversial author Amy Tan, and despite the fact that it is mostly produced by, uh, exclusively produced by Western white animation studios it mostly passed the test it does there's no like there's no embarrassment or cringiness attached to this show yeah i i think that's that's probably the biggest the biggest thing like looking back it's one of those i don't feel any of that inward like shame for how much i consumed it Mm mm-hmm and and didn't get a chance to say but i do like uh the very small kind of accents it does for like traditional uh chinese like caricature like mm. like the clouds for example yeah the little the, the the very swirls that are very obviously based on uh calligraphy brush strokes yeah and as well as a, lo- a lot of like the background design and the aesthetic of the palace it it's it's pulling from a very clear uh source uh, of inspiration yeah. and it plays through without uh talking down to that source of inspiration or doing wrong by it hopefully which is, which is the best we can say like even to um the music which didn't get a chance to say uh or talk about it's all composed by james gelfand who is a very prominent uh composer in the uh television and film industry uh but it it's attempting to be like a traditional chinese instrumentation and score and it can do that without feeling like overdone on the nose or like stereotypical mm-hmm. so all power to it like yeah. sagua it's well, still yeah. fine it's yeah and this is like the first <laughs> th- this is the first uh show for idiot babbies that i am saying like yeah it's good yeah it's it's really cute i could just it is I could just watch the just clips of the cats just trotting around on their little stumps for hours at a time. It's so endearing. I mean, that's the other thing. It's dirty play because it's it's about uh, cats. It's like, oh, you yeah. fuckers. Yeah, you, you knew you, you were... knew that was gonna get me no matter yeah. what. Like they're just they're just cute, you know. It... Meow. Right. Yeah. It's so it's so easy. Yeah. Like. <sighs> There could be no human characters in this show, and it can just be these kitty cats just flomping around this little village in China, just having the time of their lives, and it would still be a good show. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, the, uh, the, the, the scenes where they're actually treated like cats by the humans and get it's like, oh, it's like, oh, that's so cute. Like, God damn cook, you. With the cook, like, pet Sagwa or picks her up one-handed and is just like, oh, time to get, cut out all that clay. It's just like, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's adorable. The show is adorable. <laughs> it's so cute. So, despite 
like, like despite our reservations, it holds up very well. Yeah. So good, good for you, Sagwa. You do something that the majority of shows we cover can't do, <laughs> which is just not be shitty to China as a whole. <laughs> Strangely enough, that's a hard concept for Canadian television to grasp. Oh, yeah. I, I, I remember that episode of Wayside where they just fucking gave it to China. It's <laughs> like out of nowhere. It's like, wow, Todd, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. Where did that come from, man? You doing okay, buddy? Good, bud. So, I guess that's going to do it for this episode of Cartoon Night in Canada. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard... Please consider giving us a like, share, subscribe, and rating on your podcatcher of choice, preferably Apple Podcasts, because it helps us reach the widest possible audience. You can find the show on Twitter at Cartoon Night Pod, where we post new episodes every Saturday. Every single one. Yes. We're trying. We never miss a week. Never. Never. Ever. We are punctual. We are responsible. We are good at this. Well, let's not go too far. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, everybody. That, that was that was too far. You can find me on Twitter at Cinema Creep, where I will I'll be soliciting adoptions for Siamese cats. Please, uh, they're adorable. I want one. And you can find me at Sylvie Skeletons, where I will still be telling everyone to watch Puss in Boots: The Last Wish. Sylvie, you got to get over it. I will never. Look, you converted me. It's great. I like the movie a lot. But also, you gotta move. There are other movies. Yeah, I know there are other movies, but not enough people have seen Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. What about M3gan? I have not seen M3gan. You could be watching M3gan right now. I do want to see M3gan, but I don't know if... I've never seen a horror movie in theaters, and I'm... I am babby. What about Darren Aronofsky's The Whale? See, okay, I have a personal mind. beef with Darren Aronofsky. I know, I know. We've been over it yeah. again and yet. But yeah. look, Black Swan sw- slaps. No, it doesn't. It's a good movie. I'm sorry. He, I'm sorry. So is The Wrestler. He, 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 did, he did it. I'm sorry. I'm but... sorry. Perfect Blue exists. Why would I watch Black Swan? Because it's different. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, goodbye. That's the, that's the end, folks.